there's a lot of failures in along the way in terms of my own art making because of experimentation, because of like reinventing the wheel each time. And with experimenting, I would imagine with film, you'd also have, you know, more failures. And But when you hit on something that's really juicy and compelling, it can be really satisfying. At least that's my experience with art making. But the number of failures required to get there is also... Um, some quite something <laughs> it's breathtaking <laughs> <laughs> this is way of the artist with brandon colby cook and evan schulte identifying your blocks and demystifying your struggles so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art Hello, folks. We have a guest today, Leah Weinstein, and she is a sculptor, a animator, an illustrator. She is one of the most um, diverse artists that I have ever met in my life. She actually, it blows me away, um, just the way that she thinks and how creative she is and how, how her mind works around art. And I'm super excited to introduce her. I'm super excited to bring her into this conversation, especially because of what we talk about. And it, Leah, you work on a, on a level that I'm just blown away by. I'm fascinated by, and I'm just excited to have you. I don't know what else to say, <laughs> but welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. Thanks, Evan. I'm so happy to be here. I've listened to your podcast. And yeah, I'm really excited to to dive in with you guys. I haven't met Evan yet. So it's great to, to yeah, just to be here with both of you guys. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, well, so yeah, so I mean, I guess, the, I don't know, like, let's just launch off with a question. Like, what, like, what inspires you to like, get up and like, create and just like, do the work that you do? All right. Um, yeah, great question. So yeah, art, art making has been a part of my identity, I would say, since I was a, a child. So, so there's a, a sense that it's something that I, um, that I need to do in order to, um, uh, express myself or, or as a way of communicating. And sometimes I stumble with words as we might, you will discover through this interview, <laughs> but there's a clarity that can happen through object making that I find really compelling. So it's, yeah, it's a form of expression that has been, you know, part of my life for a really long time. Yeah. You know, I think that's like a, such a good point because there are, the, there are artists out there and they don't know how to use words necessarily to express themselves. Like that's not, that's not really where they do it, but like through sculptor and sculpting and through things like that, you know, you, you find your voice and, and, you know, I mean, it's interesting. You're on a podcast and you're going to try and talk about this art that you do. And I, I could imagine that's going to be difficult in certain ways, but like, um, yeah, like, it, it, I, I get that. I think that's an important element, you know? Like, yeah. It's, it's like that, that old Zen saying or Buddhist saying, where it's like, it's pointing to the moon, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like you try and talk about these things and it's like talking about it isn't really the thing, but you know, we can try and <laughs> yeah. direct it in some way. I mean, Brandon like just comes out laying down the gauntlet with a huge question and, and saying like, Hey, articulate the like thing. That's like, not you, that's like impossible to articulate. Yeah. <laughs> It's great though. It's, it's, 
it's such good, a great opportunity to dig deeper into some of those questions that I take for granted, maybe. So articulating them and having the opportunity to articulate them is, um, is a really great way to, to share that and, and, and even to describe, I could describe some of the works at some point, maybe so that you can imagine the, the shape of them and, and how that relates to what we're talking about. Yeah. I would love that. I mean, you've also, you've also taught art to other people as well. I don't know if you're still doing that, but like, um, how, how did that go? How did, how did the teaching process of sharing these things with people go? Yeah. So I've been teaching for the past two years, um, mainly full-time, almost full-time. And um, I'm teaching technical skills of drawing mostly and color theory and garment construction. So, um, so yeah, so talking about the process of, of making a drawing or a, uh, a seam or button or zipper um, sample, things like that is, I find that is a lot different than digging into the deeper ideas mm. underneath the sculpture that I make as my art practice, but it's such a wonderful way to, um, to learn those fundamentals at a deeper level as I, as I teach them right. to other students, to, you know, to other students. Yeah. So there's like a, so when you're teaching, you're finding like the, the, the curriculum is probably around like technical stuff, like teaching people how to technically do certain things artistically. But then there's the whole deeper element, which is like the artistry of the art, which is kind of what we're going to try to get into. <laughs> and that's the hardest part to talk about. I think like sometimes people listen to this type of stuff and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to get the answer. I want the, the way. And it's like, well, there isn't really a way. It's kind of something you have to dig in to find yourself and to articulate that, you know, I think people sometimes they want a straight answer, but it's like, this isn't a straight answer. This is like uh, un unraveling, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something I think we're all discovering a little bit as we go, and we're we're trying to we're trying to articulate it, and we we have our own way of doing our artistry. Yeah, I guess it relates also to the the parallel of art and design, and I feel like what I'm teaching are design principles that are more related to the the structure of a composition versus for me what personally i relate to art as being these deeper questions that perhaps we've carried our whole lives and are still reshaping the question over and over again in each work and that somehow that thread can be traced back throughout the entire body of work. And so that, that art question rela relates, I think, to something very personal for each artist. And um, a design process relates more to, I think, how to communicate, how to communicate in that visual medium or that visual language. So it's like the the design process that I'm teaching or the technical process of teaching relates to learning the language. And then the art making is more like what you do with that language, I guess. Kind of. 
Get yeah, that. it's it, yeah, like giving yourself like the yeah, essentially like the linguistics of your medium to to try and bring that to its your expression to its fullest possibility, I guess, right? Which you know is like I I, I would guess like do you do you find that like because you are obviously like it's it's almost embarrassing how many different things that you do and that you can teach people and that like, I I would love to just know how you learned how to just do all of these different things. But I guess what I, but what I want to get into first is do you find that even with like all of your skills that you have that like, do you have works that you put out there and you just go, it's like, yes, this was exactly what I wanted to communicate in this work. Or is it, constant or is it like a thing of like because i i before i put my shit into this like i just want to hear your response yeah that's a great question well i think there's um with a work that i think is making and i can i can describe a couple of them um as well maybe that will be help easier to that will help this um this um attempt to articulate artwork which <laughs> um yeah, so there are a few works that there's this um, excitement in the process of making where there's a feeling of like, yes, this this gets at something that I'm interested in, but I always find at some point um, when, it, when it's complete, um, there's always a sense of, oh, okay, this could be improved or that could be improved. So there, it's in a way... Um, there's a moment in making each artwork where there's a feeling of, yes, this is getting at that thing, that question of, um, for me is, is, you know, form and shape. So a lot of, because I work in materials, a lot of what I'm interested in is how shapes of materials, soft materials, mostly textile and some metal and some ready-made, so found up bringing found objects in and using found found shapes, um, how these shapes relate to bodies. So some of them are, are wearable sculptures or um, kind of portable shelters. So maybe I'll just describe one of those works where there was something in it that was a yes, but um, it still could be improved upon. It c- could still be remade. And, um, and that is a very early work that I made actually in the early 2000s um, that is a, a sculpture for five people to wear. So it looks like a tent and it has five bodices coming out of the top of the tent and it um, has a zipper so you can enter as if you would enter a tent and and then with once you're inside this, it looks like a white dome, like a white tent. In, once you're inside this uh, form, you can stand up through one of these five bodices. So this piece was um, exhibited and then performed. And so myself and four other four of my friends wore the sculpture from the gallery exhibition, and we walked from Granville Island. It was, it was actually the grad <laughs> show, my grad show of the, under, the undergrad program I did. Um, so we walked along the seawall negotiating how do, we, how do we 
make decisions as a group in this non-hierarchical way because these five bodices are equal and um, there isn't like we we took turns kind of leading and turning this in this sculpture someone had to walk backwards or we could turn around and someone had to walk sideways so we were all it was this awkward negotiation of five people in a sculpture so I think when it when that that work has been repeated in different shapes and forms in all of my subsequent works, not all of them, but some of them. But so, so the, the interest in how does this form, this, this form, which in that case took, took the shape of a tent dress shape (laughs) and influence our social interactions and Mm -hmm. how do we work together as a collective and the, the, kind of failure inherent in that and the I, the uh, kind of utopian ideal in that, by which I mean, like the, the ideal, it's all, I, all, I thought of it later as like a learning tool for working together. Mm. And, and then, you know, does it need to be performed or can we just look at it and imagine the performance? And that's been kind of an ongoing question in my work. Does it need to have performers or can we just look at it and, and imagine that performance. See, that's like, that's an example of like how your work just blows me away because the way that you think, the the way that you would put that together is just so far, it's just so far away from like what I would think to do. You know what I mean? And I just find that fascinating because it's like, I think sometimes for a lot of artists and maybe people can relate to me, I, I look at art and I've been taught to look at art like it needs to be almost functional, you know, like, like, but that limits my ability to be able to sometimes let myself think outside the box because that is my box. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think a lot of people struggle with that as artists. Like they're like, well, what's the point? And it's like, well, that's the thing is like, if you're not willing to expand outside of what you think or what you think your limits are, you'll never know. You'll never even try, you know? So I I just find that incredible. And what I'm most curious about is like, how do you, how does that, like, how did you do that? Like, how do you get to the idea where you let go of those things or would they never put on you? Like what, what happened? Mm. Well, yeah, that's, those are great questions. So I totally have that. I grapple with that question of function. What is the function of art? Should it fit into daily life? Um, how does it fit into daily life? How is it used? Should it be used? Is it, you know, art for just the purpose of contemplation, what is the function of that? And so I definitely think about these things. And, um, but then coming back to your question of how did I start out on that, um, I guess, decision to even ask that question, ask those questions, I think came from early experiences. Um, I, I think someone was asking me recently, um, like, when did you decide to be an artist? And for me, it was in grade four when I had uh, a teacher, Mr. Dezuba, who gave us a drawing assignment. And Mr. Dezuba never gave anyone an A in, on drawing assignments. It was a known fact, or at least in my nine-year-old mind, that was, that was the way it was. And I did a drawing of a landscape, a, a stream and plants and rocks and... Um, water falling over these rocks. It was just like a drawing. It was from looking at nature. Um, I grew up on the island in like 
hippie parents back to the land kind of um, hand-built house forest dwelling you know childhood so um so when Mr. Dezuba gave me an A on that drawing I decided ah I'm an artist according to Mr. Dezuba so that must be (laughs) and and I was encouraged to um to draw and to consider myself that other people adults in my life valued art and I think my my mother in particular valued art and so to me I got the message that that was a worthwhile pursuit um later I thought of it as a curse you know like it's a terrible thing (laughs) for your child to pursue art because (laughs) you know so um so yeah it's like a a gift to encourage a child to I mean it's a I'm always amazed when I hear of how many people are discouraged as children to make art and that totally impacts their whole you know experience of having agency or identifying themselves as an artist and so I um so I was I was I was given permission at a young age to to kind of have the identity of an artist and so I just kind of that's something I took for granted Mm. And there's um, lots of other things I would love to have been given permission to, you know, to be uh, that I necessarily, you know, like, so that was, that was one gift that, that I received and also like a challenge. Mm. So I didn't consider any other path. Right. How, how do you, because like, I, I was like looking through because like, we're just meeting for the first time and I was looking through your website, looking at your works and, and just like taking them all in. And like I, Brandon in, in some ways kind of touched on this, but for myself, it's like, when I look at like kind of the, the type of work that you do, being someone who comes from a performing arts background in like acting as well as like doing music and, and things like it, it's, I, I look at the stuff you do and I go, well, that's an artist, you know, <laughs> because like for me, it's like, I see, so much of the stuff that I've pursued as almost being like a, a mainstream and even a commoditized art form um, to a very large degree. When I look at this kind of stuff you do and like definitely where you begin with drawing and I'm sure other different forms of like illustration, you know, that would be something that's more conventional, but there's stuff that is so decidedly unconventional about a lot of the work that you do now how does that where does that jump happen for you in your life like yeah okay great question okay um well I think a lot of it was my education at Emily Carr and and really being again it's about kind of being given permission or in some cases, deciding it was a worthwhile in- inquiry um, to to really explore like what is at the heart of my interest, and and as I identified, I think one of one of the core interests I have as a human is um, is like presence, being present with others being in a body in and having being you know alive and present and being um relating to others so just like a really core human experience mm-hmm. and and so 
you know, uh, through, you know, study and permission and feedback in, in art school and beyond, and, you know, later beyond, um, thinking through drawing, you know, making drawings of sculptures, making drawings of shapes that could facilitate presence and social interactions mm. and, and um, a kind of a reminder that we're in bodies and, and a physical kind of experience of being in a space. So these are things that inter just interest me as a, as a human. Um, and so a lot of the works that you might see on my website are meant to be a container for people to interact. So, so for example, there's a, um, a chess set, like a 12, I think it was actually 16 feet by 16 feet chess set that I made in a artist residency for the Dunbar Community Center a couple of years ago, three, three, four years ago. And it's a 16 by 16 square where the sod is left on one part of the checkerboard and then the sod is cut out and replaced by wool rugs and grass rugs, grass mats, um, materials that will decompose. So they're meant to kind of slowly disintegrate back into the landscape. Um, so there's this chest set made by removing some of the sod and replacing it with rugs. And then the chess pieces were made with beach logs that I was given permission from Vancouver Parks because the residency was related to Vancouver, was funded by the city of Vancouver and Vancouver Parks um, to use found beech wood and cut it into these shapes of chess pieces. And then one half of the chess pieces had carpet nailed to the top so you could identify. Um, and then it was just left in the field at Memorial Park at Dunbar Community Center for passers-by to encounter and engage with so so maybe that's a good example of um thinking about how these shapes can cause an interaction a social interaction um and also relate art making to game the game and strategy and mm -hmm. that kind of thing i'm, I'm mm -hmm. starting to see a little bit about your process it's like there's, there's something that you do as an artist, which maybe you're not even aware of. I don't know, but it challenges certain things about social norms because like there's, I think in our culture, there's this whole thing that goes on about like, what's the point. And if I'm not building myself or if I'm not getting somewhere, if I'm not accomplishing something or making some legacy or something that somehow I'm not winning at life, you know, and there's this whole other kind of idea of like being present because the only thing that actually exists is right now. Like right now is, is the moment. Right. And like, I think sometimes we can get so caught in the past and the future and the point and the purpose uh, of trying to make something or control it that um, we, th that is actually a limit. And like you taking your value of being like presence and social interaction and using that to inform your art has actually made you, kind of break through some of the barriers that I think a lot of us feel stuck in. And that's not just in life. I mean, that's in, in art. I mean, that's in life too. That's like, I think we're all caught in that a lot, you know, like we mm. get wrapped up in these social ideas of how we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to think. Yeah. Well, I totally get caught up in that too. And, and we're looking at 
uh, or I, I'm sharing with you my website of what I call like my my work in quotation or my capital A art. But <laughs> the majority of what I do are projects for others that are more based on like a function, as you say, or costume design. I, I do a lot of costumes for other artists or theater or dance. So so most of what I actually make are these more practical things that have a specific place to live. Um, so I, I totally get caught up in that too. Like I need to make a living and (laughs) I can't do that easily with some of these, you know, ephemeral artworks or a shelter form that no can't, I can't store that forever. So a lot of them are gone and they just exist in photographs. Some of them are sold, a couple pieces sold, but most of them were temporary and and um, just not sustainable in the long term. So I told, so I, yeah, finding a way. So the art is, is this ideal goal, but the practical, um, the practicality of doing that on an ongoing basis is really super challenging. Right. But so, yeah. the the ideal that you have, the 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 fact that you actually go to that realm, which I, I mean, I, I'm going to say like for myself, I don't, I don't do that enough. And 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 th- part of the thing that inspires me about you is that you do, and you get to venture into an area that like I don't really see as much as I'd like to. But that when you go somewhere that most people won't go, you can come back with new information, with new ideas. Like when you don't even go there, you never know. You don't know what's out there. Like if people say, don't go into the woods, it's scary. You never know. You just never know what's out there. But like people might go, you could go out to the woods and it's pointless, but you go out to the woods and you might bring nothing back except your experience. And your experience is the gift. It is the reward, right? So like when I hear you talk about that, I'm like, yeah, but it's the experience of doing it that you come back to do practical stuff or functional stuff, right? You have information or ideas or, or experiences that other people just wouldn't have. Yeah, that's really true. And, and, but if I didn't go and create those things, I wouldn't be able to share them because no one else is going to ask me to make that shelter form, that strange bubble or, um, whatever the, this form is that is impractical and cumbersome. Uh, no one else is going to commission me to do that work. Um, so I think it's really, it's, that's a really good point. So it's necessary to go out to venture into the, the wilderness, as, as you say, and see what's there. And um, it's also really challenging to do that just in terms of living in Vancouver and, um, the practicalities, not to mention this t- strange time we live in now with, you know, being limited to our homes in most cases. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. I lost my train of thought. That's <laughs> all right. That's okay. yeah. <laughs> it happens. Um, I, I wanted to come back to something that you had said, like, um, you're talking about that, that first piece that you did where everybody's in this shared sort of dome and and collectively and you said that 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 looking back that piece has like sort of informed or been a recurring theme in 
your following works. Is that something that was intentional or something that you've just like observed in hindsight that is like this, this thing that continues to come out? That's something that I've observed in hindsight. Um, as I, like a, the, the starting point for a lot of my work is, is drawing and, and that, that sort of shape recurs. And so through drawing different forms, um, I've noticed over time when the, when the looking back at some of the works, like for example, I have a couple of sculptures that in, include multiple sleeves. Like for example, one piece is a wall sculpture and it has, I think 50 sleeves and a zipper on each end and hooks so that it can be removed from the wall and worn. And, and the idea, or hopefully it occurs to the, performers or participants that the zipper on either end connects and so if you can attempt to zip up this garment then you're all trapped in this multi-person garment so that that relation to the earlier work I guess I was aware that as I was making it but it how closely related it was was something that I saw later or the um the question, because the question feels consistent, then the shape it takes seems to um, be related. Um, another work, and Brandon, you're, you're, you visited the school bus gallery yeah. that, I, that I ran for a few years. Um, for two and a half years, I, I ran a school bus gallery where I had a 72-passenger school bus that I bought for converting to a studio. And I used it for a studio for about five years. And it's an awesome space to have a studio. And, and keep in mind that I grew up with hippie parents on the island. So it was normal to have a school bus on the property. In fact, my parents had a school bus that I lived in um, for a couple of summers when I was doing work on Quadra Island and Cortez Island. Um, so for me, it was, yeah, you get a school bus, you convert it, and, um, and then you use it as this mobile space. So, so I had a school bus, and then it occurred to me after some time that this was an awesome container in which to invite people in to work together in the same way that the that early sculpture of the dress was a container to invite people in to have an interaction. Mm. And so that was something I kind of connected the dots later after I'd been using the school bus as a studio. Um, yeah. So after about five years, I realized, Hey, this would be a really great social sculpture to invite other artists to bring artwork in. So it became a curatorial project and share their work and we can move it to a different site each time. And then there's so much um, independence and say agency that, that artists have to shape the experience of the viewer. So, you know, if I want it to be in a parking lot as a, as a visiting artist, so as a, you know, if the visiting artist wanted to be in a parking lot or a beach or a um, outside of a, gallery or whatever there was a lot of um more control i guess so that i looked at in hindsight and saw the the connection 
but I was also aware of that relation as I was going through the process too. So maybe a bit of both. Mm-hmm. I was gonna, yeah, yeah, go I was gonna say, um, it, it sounds as though too, like with a lot of your work, particularly like like some of these things that like people can can wear or is like, and that people don't necessarily have to. Um, it strikes me that there's an aspect of you perhaps intentionally challenging your audience, challenging the, the, the person who's observing it. Is that something that you have built in? Is that something you want to do for people who, who see your work? Yeah, that's, that's, um, I really want it to be an invitation and I'm aware that some people won't take on that invitation. Like an, another artwork I did as a public public artwork for the city of Richmond was a this 10-piece um, shelter form. So it's it, so the whole thing looks like I think it was seven feet high and nine feet in diameter, and the whole thing is shaped like a bubble that sits on the ground in ten slices that tie together and have magnets to also um, keep the whole thing contained as a, as a, as a kind of like a, actually looked a little bit like a moon shell because there's an opening as well. So there's this opening for people to enter. And so I hired perform dancer performers to carry these individual slices across these three different, um, sites and and then construct this bubble dome kind of moonshell form, very utopian looking kind of bubble in this planned uh, destination and then invite viewers in by placing these pieces of, you know, different shaped pieces of welcome mats, like grass mat, again, grass mats that were located, that were, you know, already set up at the site, placing them like stepping stones to invite in a nonverbal way to invite viewers to enter. And some people entered, but there's definitely, yeah, there's, yeah, there's always a, you know, some reluctance to engage because then all of a sudden you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe there'll be some <laughs> expectation of you once you enter the sculpture, but there, there wasn't, but yeah, finding a way to, invite people in, but also somehow communicate that there isn't any particular expectation of them. They don't have to perform. They just have to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Like an invitation to play really, you know, it's, it's, that's so fascinating. Cause yeah, like there's like, I come up against that with my, uh, for myself when, when there's something going on around me and I'll just be like, Oh no, like, you know, just, I'm just going to stand here and not, participate but you know there it's it's a fascinating thing so it's like i said i at the beginning of the the question was like are you trying to challenge people but in some ways like are it's almost an invitation to come and and play as like not being like yeah not a challenge more an invitation to play i think that's a good way to put it it's like because it does challenge you but it's not intended to challenge you it's intended to give you like an an opportunity that you wouldn't see there yeah Hmm. Yeah. So, so I definitely think of it more as an invitation than a challenge, but, um, also another part of what I've noticed in my work over time is, um, 
like a, there's a definitely a childlike quality. Like I think it comes, a lot of my work comes from that more innocent or even naive place. And so I started to notice over time, especially with that piece in, in Richmond, kind of a naivete um, by inviting people into this bubble that um, like, what does that represent anyway? And um, <laughs> what is the benefit of that? What is the benefit of that experience? And um, although there were some really magical moments, like in a storm came up in our, in our third performance in Terranova Park and kind of was like blowing these pieces and everyone was huddled in inside and it was raining and we had these, um, like it was really kind of dramatic. But, but the innocence and naivete is something I've also been grappling with which has sort of led me to look into the utopian idea, idea, the utopian ideal and the sort of the innocence in that. And also the dystopian underbelly that's inevitable. So, mm. Mm. so like the invitation is presented and then the challenge is maybe discovered through the process. Um, and the challenge isn't always, clear but then I start so then with that after that Richmond project I really started to think more about okay what is what is this ideal I'm trying to present this kind of like shared presence you know it seems very kind of naive in a way so I started exploring objects that meant to offer solutions but in fact were more cumbersome so so the the inevitable failure of this very earnest solution. So an example of that is this lamp vest, with this lampshade vest, which is a metal armature that goes under a vest and a lamp which extends out from the shoulder and then has a pull chain for turning the light on and off. It was had a battery pack in the back of the vest and how like it's meant to be really useful and helpful <laughs> and kind of... Um, offer something really useful and um, but actually it's totally impractical and cumbersome so like the 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 problem that's created by a, a, a solution that's it's meant to be like it's offered in earnestness but it's actually can be problematic and so mm. that became kind of a topic over the next kind of few works of like the the inevitable failure of this kind of utopian solution I guess. Yeah. There's like a, it's interesting. Cause there's like the, the, the intention, you know, with, with art, like there's an, I, I think that's a really important element of art that people don't talk about very much, but their art requires intention it, when it's unintentional, when people just kind of go like, I think people will like this. Like it's not like it has no point, right. It's other than to try and please or something like that. I think that's kind of like the lowest form of art. Right. But like when you kind of come up with an intention, like I'm going to, I'm going to do this for this reason, or I'm going to try this, or I'm going to follow this thing. And intention can lead you to all sorts of interesting discoveries. And part of the art is the discovery of where that intention leads you and where that leads you next is kind of where the art kind of bridges, right? Like it carries you to there so that you can see something you couldn't see, you know, even even if you can see something that doesn't work, right? Or something that, I don't know, like, I think like that that's part of learning art, right? Like to really learn art or to be an artist is being willing 
to try something that you don't know where it'll lead you to so that you can see what it looks like when you get there. Not because that's the victory, but because that point that you get to is a new perspective that's that you can see as valuable. Like that seems a lot like how you work. You, you get yourself to a point of perspective where you can ask a new question. Yeah, I like that. I like, I like that. Um, yeah, I think at its, at its best, it does that. But it's so easy to fall into a trap, which I have also many, many times of making something that is aesthetically pleasing for others um, that, that wasn't ultimately, you know, taking me or the viewer to a new place at which to kind of look back and have a new vantage point to look at things, but rather was just, um, kind of, and, and there's nothing wrong with a purely aesthetic exploration. I think that's a totally, um, valid inquiry. And, and sometimes I wish I had more of that because I could be more commercially viable. <laughs> that was my, <laughs> um, my goal, but sculpture inevitably relates to the body. At least that's how I see it. So, so yeah. Where was I going with that? Yeah. I got lost there. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about like the, like having the intention of something behind a work and, and, and I don't know if that sparks whatever it was. Yeah. The intention. Yeah. So the, if the intention is to create a social experience, then um, hopefully that occurs. And if the intention is to create, more of a visually aesthetic experience. Hopefully that intention occurs, although I haven't um, made that my intention. I went well, on a tangent. I mean, what, I mean, I think what I see is like, because I'm, I'm for me, like part, like I have to be honest, like part of having you on the podcast is I want to, I want to have people hear how you think I, that's important to me, but also this is a inquiry <laughs> for me. <laughs> It's an opportunity for me to try to understand how you work and, and how you do what you do. Because I mean, for the audience out there, they haven't necessarily experienced you and experienced your work, but I have, and I find it quite fascinating. But what I'm deciphering from, from everything is like, it's an experimental process for you because you try something and you get a result and that result might, might be something you didn't expect. And your experiment comes from a place of like innocence and maybe naivety of like, I don't know, like, let's see. And maybe you expect it to work a certain way. And then all of a sudden it doesn't. And you're like, okay, now I am more aware of this. And so then it opens up a new experiment and your art kind of becomes experimental. And I'm just kind of thinking about that in terms of like my own idea like, I, like as we've been talking, my creative brain has been just firing and I'm like, Oh, I could do something this way. And it's just making me think like, what if I tried that? And, and that's kind of like, I'm, I'm trying to try on your process and see how I can incorporate that into my own artist, you know, modality. Right. Um, but yeah, like, it seems like a lot of this is an experiment. It's a, let's try that. But at the same time, you're also hitting some other values that you have. Yeah, it is absolutely experimental. And that's why a lot of the works that I make look totally different from one another. And I hope over time, the 
thread of the inquiry is visible throughout them, but um, it's not immediately obvious, that's for sure. I think it takes some digging to see the thread because they look totally different. You know, the school bus, the knit painting made by multiple people as a collective social fabric um, experiment, the um, the chessette, the, these different sculptures, they look quite different. And the, even the mediums that I use vary off, you know, for, across a really wide spectrum. Um, so the risk of being so experimental is that it's hard for people to see the thread throughout your work. And there is a commercial expectation to have a really recognizable visual style. Whereas that's not visually apparent in a lot of my works. I think it's more of a conceptual thread. So, um, but I think the willingness to experiment can make the work more gratifying, if not practical, because it's not practical, but it can be... um, it can be more interesting, I think, for for the one who's making the work. So, yeah, I think it's all. About I mean, I think that's part of the that's part of like uh, the way as an artist is like part of it is you're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to create some art. Maybe I mean, I think you're trying to create some art so other people can experience it and express yourself. But then there's this other part is you're trying to express yourself, and I think that sometimes with the demands of culture and society of like, you need to make money, you need to get somewhere, you need to accomplish something, you need, you need to make a name for yourself. We sometimes forget about the part that's our own gratification of the art, right? Like, I mean, I think that is an important element. I think that's an important element because that personal gratification of the art is what maybe leads you to be more practical and um, I don't know, just functional, like figure out, okay, well, like I enjoy doing this and I'm finding a way to do that. But like through those discoveries, I'm learning something that people can connect with and that can be incorporated into my enjoyment as opposed to like, I'm going to do what other people want and then try to enjoy that. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause I think that's what a lot of people do. They're like, I'm going to do what people want or I'm going to create something in this realm that people approve of. And then I'm going to try to enjoy that. But I think that's sometimes a backwards way of looking at art. It's a very like commercial and practical way, but like, I think it backfires. I see it backfire in screenwriting all the time. I just know that, you know, Yeah, that I think that's true. And, and if, yeah, if the work goes at the, the heart of some question you have, or I have, as an artist, then it's going to be more meaningful and yeah, may, maybe just being more meaningful is satisfying. So, so it, if it has more meaning to me and, um, and I can share that with others and, and some people, not everyone is going to respond to it, but if some others can respond to it as well, then it can be really satisfying. So Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't that the point? I mean, like with art is that you got to, I mean, you got to enjoy to some degree being artistic, being creative. Like, I Yeah. Mean, otherwise, why? If you're, I mean, if you're hating <laughs> it, right. If you're hating your creative side and you're not making money at it and you're hating it, like that's yeah. just a disaster, right? Like, yeah. like don't, don't, I, I've, I've been an artist and not made money, but I love doing my art at least. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it has to be a compelling question or process. You know, a, a lot of, I think also, because I also make quilts um, as, as a, a kind of a side practice to my art. I don't necessarily call them art objects, but I make quilts mostly for the delight in making, like enjoying the process of fabric and color and constructing and sewing and that whole process of piecing the, them together. And then they're, they easily live in the world. So that kind of makes it easier to, to sort of justify them because they, they can find a home easily in the world being a functional object. Um, but the, the enjoyment in the process is I think a really key part because then it, then, um, then you're enjoying the, the moment and then you're enjoying kind of your own presence while you're making. And, um, yeah, then, then you keep doing it. And if it's not enjoyable, then why would you continue? It's already, it's already challenging to be an artist. Why would you, yeah, exactly. Why would you keep mm. doing it if you don't enjoy the process? You know, Evan, I actually, now that she said that, I actually kind of wanted to turn it to you because you're so much of a presence in an acting. I mean, how does that relate to acting? Like, um, you know, just because you got to, you're in the, you know, you're trying to do all this stuff as an actor, right? You're trying to have a career and get your headshots and have an agent and all that, figure out the technical craft of acting. But then in the meantime, like, there's the presence, like, especially with your Meisner training, like, that's what Evan does. He, he trains people in this Meisner process. And it's like those, that moment, right. Those moments become the most important thing in your entire career. And, and it's all in that moment, you know, and you, you don't realize that because you're so focused on some of this stuff, but like, mm. what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I'm just curious. Oh, um, I mean, hmm. <laughs> no, I'm at a, no, I'm at a loss for it. I mean, like really it's because yeah, it is, it is funny because there's all of this shit that swirls around the thing that you do, but really bringing it back down, distilling everything down to the fact that it's like, well, but really your work still comes down to this interaction, this relationship, this, this, what this discovery of whatever this thing is that's going on right now. And for me, it's always about like trying to shift the perspective of actors. That it's like that you're in this constant to be in a constant state of discovery of coming in with a sense of, I guess, innocence of being like, I don't know what this actually is right now. I know what I'm coming in with, but you know, this other person is going to kind of tell me what happens next. And I mean, I think that that translates into other art forms, you know, and acting, it just happens to be it's like, okay, you have a person, a specific person, usually that your things are coming back at you from, but there's, I mean, I've watched, um, like I got really during this whole lockdown, I like binged through this show called portrait artist of the year. Um, it's like this British show and it's like, uh, and, and it's fantastic. They bring in all these different artists to, to like, they're all vying for this, um, uh, to, to get this grant, basically get to this commission to do a, a portrait and they all have their, their different styles. And it was fascinating to watch them, 
just in such focus with their canvas, whatever that was. But there was, I was still watching, like, I was like, this is like acting, except their, their canvas and the paint or the whatever is, is telling them is giving them their feedback and they're having to respond be like, Oh geez, if I do more, I could destroy this whole thing. But at the same time, it feels incomplete. And it's like, there is this whole listening attentive process with an abstraction, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Being that, that, process in acting, which I, I'm not uh, familiar with, although I did take an improv class. It was the hardest thing I have ever done. Um, and that was just like to get comfortable with teaching. Um, but being present and responding to what's immediately in front of you rather than the preconceived idea of what that person will say or what that image is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can relate that to drawing and and when when drawing from life, when looking closely at life, for example, a face, a portrait, a model, a life model, what I t- and this is what I tell my students and what I do myself is to just just notice what you see and draw the shapes as you see them rather than what you think a body looks like or what you think a face looks like. Cause you'll get mm. it wrong if you draw from, from your idea of it rather than what you're actually experiencing in front of you. And I imagine that might be true with acting. Like if you're responding to what you think the other actor will say, you're not going to be present and authentic. I would imagine like in, in a similar way. Yeah. It's like the idea is that you're, yeah, you're you're responding with what you think is happening as opposed to what is actually happening. And then, you know, for acting teachers of mine in the past, and I, I guess I say this too. I'm like, but I'm like, but then what you're doing is you're, it, it's going to be contrived no matter what. Like what's coming out is contrived because you're working from from what you've seen before, what you know from the past. When really, creativity comes from the discovery of right now and trying to express that as immediately and as honestly as possible and to become more comfortable with being in that space because it is an uncomfortable space to be in, you know, especially like in an acting room where you've got, you know, a classroom of people who are watching you perform this task. Right. And it's just, (laughs) you get that feedback immediately. Yeah. I don't know what (laughs) (laughs) I just find it fascinating how all the, like how it all relates, you know, like it doesn't really matter. Like you're in sculpting, you're, you're drawing, you're painting, you're acting, you're, you're writing like it all, the process relates. And I think what's really interesting about having a conversation with Yulia is like, you're doing a different type of art than say where I focus, but seeing how your process relates to mine, and how I do it, but then seeing how you break through paradigms or break through boxes of limitation, I can see how I could apply that to myself, you know, like, um, and I think that's kind of where it's really important to like, listen with an open ear, you know, and to like, to not be so minutely focused on like, well, I only look at how other actors act or how other writers write. And like, maybe your answers are going to come from somebody who does a different art expression than you do entirely because 
they're willing to break a paradigm. Whereas like, for example, in the film industry, there's a lot of things that are like, this is how you do it. (laughs) This is how it's done. You know, this is how we do it. This is how we've done it for years. You know, it's like, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's right. I mean, like someone like Marlon Brando comes along and then he does something totally different. And then everyone goes, okay, now this is how we do it. But now everyone's like, well, this is how we do it. You know, or Picasso comes along and he does something different, right? Or whoever, you, you need to be willing to try to experiment, to be wrong, essentially, so you can find out what's out there. That's, that's kind of what I'm seeing a lot from this conversation is like the unconventional ideas are sometimes where you find something new. Maybe that's also partly shaped by the discipline. So art, the, the, the goal of art is often to push past and break conventions or challenge existing notions and perhaps for the field of of um film it's there's more of an expectation that it needs to fit in a container because of audience expectations so so it makes sense that there would be i mean of course there's there's um conventions and expectations in art but but it's built into the medium and the discipline, sorry, not the medium, the discipline of art, that it should be experimental, like that's its function. So, mm. so maybe that um, is, yeah, and, and certainly all of these different disciplines borrow from one another. I mean, I mean, art borrows from design and um, film and fashion and, you know, like, I think, I think what becomes interesting today because there's so much art that has happened already is when they kind of cross over and impact one another and we get these interdisciplinary practices and, and outcomes. So, yeah. So I think it's, I think it'd be really interesting to see um, like making a film, taking the approach of, of um, something that's more a process that's more, conventional let's say in in its unconvention i don't know if that makes sense but (laughs) as an art practice no it's 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 interesting like because i because yeah with something like again with film we would look at at film and like there's like a separate section of film where we call it experimental film (laughs) you know it's off it's often its own corner but it's not something that's necessarily inbuilt into the discipline or the culture as an expectation of like hey you need to do something different in fact very often the, the expectation in the film industry particularly you know within like the mainstream sort of like Hollywood studio kind of thing it's like no 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 you got to check the boxes of you know like it's it's there's there's less of a of a space for experimentation it's not something that's inbuilt into the process it's like you need to deliver a product and yeah there's there's but that's not to say that there aren't filmmakers out there who aren't doing really interesting things and who do push themselves to like to challenge some of our paradigms of filmmaking yeah and some some sorry no, i was just going to say ahead. some Sometimes, I mean, uh, it's very common for uh, a visit to an art gallery to be a frustrating experience for viewers because it 
does break expectations. And maybe we've all experienced experimental films that are they're somehow frustrating because they don't follow that you know satisfying arc of a story that that we want to see. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's vitally important to experiment and push those boundaries, but also, also, um, it leans into the possibility of failure a little more and, um, it might not be satisfying for viewers, but, but maybe, I mean, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of failures in along the way in terms of my own art making because of experimentation, because of like reinventing the wheel each time. And with experimenting, I would imagine with film, you'd also have, you know, more failures. And, but when you hit on something that's really juicy and compelling, it can be really satisfying. At least that's my experience with art making, but the number of failures required to get there is also, um, some quite something <laughs> it's breathtaking <laughs> yeah there's a there's a quote it's like uh the difference between i think it's the master and the whatever the master has failed more times right and and i think that's such an important message for people to just take home in anything it's like your willingness to fail your willingness to try something new and and just experiment is what's going to make you masterful at something. I think there's a, there is a, like a lot of people, they want to do a good job. They want to get it right. They want to get the approval, the love, the whatever, but you know, and when you, when you fail or when you make a mistake or when something doesn't work, you don't get that. And so I think it's, it's a, a chance for everybody to check in and just be honest about, you know, like, do you want to be masterful at this or do you just want to get like a pat on the back for it? And I think that we're all kind of walking that line a little bit, right? Like there is a point where you want to get paddled on the back. You know, you, maybe you want to make your money from it or you want to make a career out of it. But in the meantime, while you're figuring that out, you got to be willing to make mistakes. You got to be willing to experiment, fail, whatever you call that to learn and to become better and to explore ground that people who won't fail, won't explore. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and being willing to, I mean, it's really hard to waste material. I find it really challenging to like waste materials, but, (laughs) um, so finding ways to do it in, in like a safe way that's sustainable and, um, like not always going to the final materials, although sometimes you need to. I don't know what how that would look in in film production, but um, I guess what you know, yeah. Like how how to find a way to to make these ex- explorations and experiments in a way that is also sustainable. Maybe that's part of the challenge too. So. Yeah, use finding materials like making maquettes first, and you know, like fi- finding ways. I guess that's been a challenge for me. I've gone through a lot. I I have a heavy footprint in materials that I've recently started lightening and letting go a lot of materials. So mm. like, and and in a way that limits my ability to be really versatile and experimental. But it's I guess negotiating how do I, how do I make this work in my life in a practical way? Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, maybe there's, there's some of that experimentation 
can get can get lost in lightening that, but also. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that exactly, but well, I mean, it's it seems to me it's like it's one of those things where it's like option paralysis sometimes as well. I mean, it's an interesting thing you bring up, just like on a practical level of just like waste of materials or going through materials and and just kind of the the bizarre creative challenges that we like that we never necessarily think of, but then suddenly find ourselves <laughs> contemplating. But, um, but I, I you know so. Okay. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say sometimes sometimes no, I I was just gonna say it's like sometimes there there is something about being limited, having limited Mm. resources that that is actually the thing that opens up the creativity, whereas having like everything that you need and want and you're just like, I don't even know where to begin with any of this. Whereas like you strip yourself down and suddenly there's a whole world of possibilities (laughs) that have opened up. That's a really good point. That's a great point. I know, Brandon, you wanted to say something, but just in response to that, yes, absolutely. So limitation and the creativity that can be found with limited materials. And sometimes it can be overwhelming having, you know, 20 boxes of fabric versus just one box of fabric with which to choose from. It can be paralyzing. So so there's definitely a benefit in downsizing and scaling back and um, like the freedom that's possible in limitation too. Like I, I recently um, moved from my studio apartment to in with my partner and downsized my studio. And now I have this little, this little corner office, which has basically got like a sheet wall to kind of hide it away when I'm not using it in like this funny little fort corner. Um, but there's also like this delight of being in this fort structure that I've built that I didn't necessarily feel when I had this whole expansive space. Now I'm like, okay, I have this little corner and I have this kind of smaller sewing area, but everything that is non-essential can be stripped away. And, um, and then um, maybe a lot of the distractions can go too, and the, and the burden of choice of so many choices as well can can be lightened i'm hoping (laughs) still figuring that out (laughs) yeah i was i I was just thinking and you know like uh, when i was film when i was a filmmaker i still am but when i was early in my career um how i would collect wardrobe because i was like well we could use this for a film or we might need it or and at one point um like i had all these jackets. I just had a ton of jackets and these like warmers because I'm like, well, I want to be able to make sure everybody's warm <laughs> when we're shooting outside. And it's like, at a certain point, I'm just like, you got to get rid of these jackets. You know what I mean? Like, cause they're starting to become cumbersome to your life, you know? And I think that, um, sometimes removing things from your like creative access actually makes you be more creative about how you get access to stuff. So like I became less um, like making it about me and self-reliant in the sense that I started to expand and ask for help and learn how to raise money and do things that were uncomfortable at first. But cause I'm actually like, I can be very introverted, but I pushed myself to be more charismatic and push myself to be more out there because for the sake of my art, you know, it's more important that I'm charismatic. It's more important that I'm inclusive. And I think that, you know, you talked a bit about the practicality of art, right? And like, sometimes you have to evolve 
your artistry more than your materials or more than your, cause they actually support you being small, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a thing that people don't always realize. They think, Oh, well, if I just had all the money, if I just had all the things that would actually make you, that would support all the little uh, quirks that you have that make you small and not expansive as an artist. Ooh, that's a really good point. I totally relate to that. So like having all of these, you know, stacks and stacks of different types of papers, but then I end up just drawing on, you know, the back of a napkin or you know, the line. Paper. So like, if I just had one notebook, then, you know, I would, I could, you know, yeah, the freedom in that, like why have so many jackets? Yeah. Um, actually that, that brings to mind, um, I'm doing a mentorship, a formal mentorship with a, an artist in Joshua tree, California in the, in the desert um, of California through the BC arts council. They have this wonderful program um, for, for artists to work with mentors and um, for specifically for career development. But her practice is, is based on, how to live. That's her fundamental question is how to live. And Mm. through structures that she lives in, like architectural forms and clothing and um, kitchen, uh, uh, kitchen kind of structures as well. She explores like, what do we need and how do we take everything away that isn't necessary? So there's just the essential forms to live with and and sometimes she goes too far um like for example she built a table that had only a a dip in it so that you could skip the bowl or the plate just put the food right on the right on the table (laughs) you know like pushing those boundaries um but um but that's been really interesting working with with a mentor to kind of remind me actually her her like assignments for me were was a writing practice to to um to kind of come back to the heart of that inquiry for me um so so i've been doing a bit of writing recently but anyway i did that just came to mind in terms of like taking stripping everything away so that you're free from the burden of the choices and um and like what do we really need mm-hmm. But then taking it away, it also comes with its point of error, right? You take too much away and then you realize what you need to add back. But like, I think, um, like, for example, I'll just give another example. I, I went through a, a period of minimalizing everything in my life, just kind of like get everything out and like, let's only bring back in what I want. And I gave away a blender because I'm like, I never use this fucking thing. And then I also, all of a sudden I wanted to blend something and I'm like, damn it. I gave away my blender. <laughs> and it was like, but here's the thing I'll use a blender now, but in a weird way, I wasn't using it when I had it and everything else. And so like, there's a, I think there's like a, sometimes you have to kind of remove stuff before you recognize the value of it. And then you can bring it back in, but bring it back in mindfully. Um, and I think as an artist, that's such an important element of the process is like, there is a part of adding and a part of eliminating and finding the the boundaries, what's too much and what's too little is part of the creative process. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so when everything is stripped away, then you can go out and get that specific thing that works for the project instead of, you know, that, that other making it fit into that other, those other materials that weren't quite necessarily weren't going to be as um, kind of on point. Totally. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, yeah, we're we're approaching what our our normal sort of runtime is mm-hmm. um, on the show. But I mean, like, I feel like we could just keep on going and talking and talking and talking. But um, you know, we want to be respectful of it, of of your time here. Um, there was one question. This is going back to something you said before, but I really wanted to ask you this question. Do you ever have any of your works come out that reflect something about yourself that surprised you that you didn't see was there, but suddenly you're just like, Oh, I didn't realize that I was putting this into my, into my stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think with that project I did for the city of Richmond, when I saw, when I stepped back and saw the, the naivete and, and innocence of it, I think that was one moment where I was surprised at, at, um, at it and I couldn't see it in advance. I could only see it once I've made, once I'd made it and could step back and look at it as this whole, um, like long, I think it was like a year long project, this long process. And the result did surprise me. And then, and then at, at that point I kind of pivoted and changed my approach to focus more on materials themselves and following, following in a more, um, present way, let's say, following how materials might arrange themselves if I were to just let the materials. And so that led me on this whole other trajectory. It didn't necessarily relate to those utopian structures. And and I so I think certainly a important part of art making of, of any form is to look at the medium, look at the result and learn from it. And, and um, so then I started on this whole other path of just focusing on materials themselves. And, and that produced an interesting body of work that I'm now um, kind of always trying to bridge back to those, those, those kind of ideal social sculptures and, the materials themselves and what um, information they hold that we don't understand necessarily, but um, like safety pins. I don't know if you saw that piece on the website, but I have one artwork that is um, 12,000 safety pins on a textile black wool. um, Oh yeah, no, I, I saw that one. Yeah. It's, and so, yeah, yeah. The, the process, that is really about presence, my presence, but it's not about a social interaction necessarily. But, but that, you know, presence of putting safety pin after safety pin after safety pin for months into this textile was, you know, related more to my tree planting history than, um, than these utopian sculptures. But just, but absolutely by looking at the artwork and learning from it, it sent me in a different direction that now kind of adds more complexity and tangents, I guess, to the, to the overall practice. That's great. Like, it's just, to me, it just speaks to, you know, just this, we continually put out this message, you know, like we talk about like way of the artist, which is like, it's your path. And there's no point in which you just like, put your feet up and say, ah, I've arrived, you know, like I've, I've got there that it's this continual uh, assessing and reassessing and responding. And like, which is seems like 
something we don't want, but creates such a, a full, rich life when you have that level of engagement of it, as opposed to just trying to reach the plateau where you're just, you can just say you're finished, right? Yeah. Like this is it. I'm just going to make safety pin paintings from here on (laughs) out because, you know, people responded to them and, you know, someone wants one and, you know, but that would be incredibly boring. So I think in order for it to be interesting and alive for me as a art maker, it has to be a discovery, a continual discovery. Otherwise I don't think it's um, as compelling of a, kind of pastime or, you know, way of, way of spending time really. Mm -hmm. Well, Hey, so we have some questions for you. Um, and these are questions we ask every, everybody now, um, everyone who comes as a guest onto way of the artists. So, um, we're going to, we're going to kind of fire them at you one after the other, and you can take your time. You can answer them quickly or you can answer them in more detail and get into why and stuff. But, uh, yeah, there, there's some thought provoking questions. Maybe they'll, uh, have you walk away with some interesting thought, but also I think, um, our audience, you know, uh, can kind of start to draw connections between every artist that has their own answers to these. Um, okay. I'll start with the first one. So what's the most important book you've ever read? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, oh, wow. Wow most important book I've ever read. Oh, this is a really good question. Okay. I got to time with it. Um, it's really hard to narrow it down to one single book, but um, I'm surprised at the, the book that came to mind first that impacted me Um was Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins. I read when when I was in my early 20s. And I think this kind of world-making and imagination, this sort of like unleashed imagination of the characters that he's created and these worlds that he's built was really um, kind of um, exciting for me at the time. And, I mean, there have been so many many books that I've come across since that have, have been kind of more... Um, related to specifically to art making, but, and, and I've read like probably hundreds of self-help books. None (laughs) of those came to mind, but, um, but this, um, just this kind of world building and imagination is, uh, is what immediately came to mind. Excellent. Uh, I'm next, surprised at that <laughs> response myself. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so next question is, uh, what film has had the greatest impact on you? Ooh, I wish I had known these questions in advance. I could have put more thought into it, but okay, just going from the gut, film had the greatest impact on me. Um, 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 I'm thinking about a film. I can't remember the title of it right now. Um, uh, okay, I love Wes Anderson's films just for their aesthetic delight. But but I think films that have had more impact on me have been slower um, films like um, 
uh, Moonlight. What was that? Is that the title of the film that recently? The best Picture uh, a couple of years yeah. ago? Yeah. yeah. Just the slowness and the, um, the visual clarity and that, that heartfelt story. Um, is that the title of the film? Moonlight? I um, think that's it. Yeah, Moonlight. Yeah. 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 And um, there's an Indian film in that I saw again in my 20s. About, uh, uh, I can't remember the... T- ah, I'm sorry. I'm gapping on, on the title of things, but, <laughs> but, but Moonlight was really powerful in terms of the slowness um, and that taking the time to tell a story and giving lots of kind of visual space for the characters to unfold. And then on the kind of opposite end of the spectrum, Wes Anderson's more kind of imaginative, colorful, um, kind of wildly um, bizarre characters. Yeah. Mm. What I I find interesting about your film answer, because I'm so just involved in filmmaking, is just the way in in which you focused on in in your favorite or your or the film that made an impact on you. Like I just think that's such an interesting take on it. Like that that's how you perceive film, right? I just find that experience. Yeah. yeah, I find that fascinating. And it's just the pace and stuff like that. Like it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily what I personally focus on when I look at a film, but, but it it matters, but I don't necessarily look at it that way, but that's cool. Um, okay. What's a song that takes you somewhere? Um, Oh, (laughs) okay. Sorry. (laughs) Just fire the first one that comes to you. (laughs) Um, I'm just thinking about things that I've listened to over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that kind of reliably take me to a place of uh, lightness that are often often um, like music that brings lifts me up and makes me dance. Um, and I'm thinking like the first person that came to mind was a DJ who you know mixes other people's music. Neon Steve was the first person that came to mind. It was like an album that I've listened to over and over and over again of like whole mishmash of dance music and then kind of curated into this kind of long, long track that I've, 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 um, yeah, I've just like listened to over and over and over again over the years. So, um, yeah, actually, as I think about the choices, that I'm that come to mind immediately. Most of them are kind of colorful and imaginative and and alive. So yeah. Cool. Yeah, who is DJ? DJ what was it? Sorry. Neon Steve. Oh, Neon Steve. Okay, that sounds. Uh, it sounds a lot like there's another um, DJ who I years ago I somehow accidentally ended up on the stage with him in Los Angeles. <laughs> no, uh, he goes by the name. There's of, a story. <laughs> he goes. He goes by the name of Girl Talk. And oh yeah, he, Girl Talk. Yeah. yeah, and he does these mashes of like all these like dance songs and stuff like that, and they're just like and yeah, one leads into the next, into the next, and it's just like they're really fun and yeah. So that just made me think of that. But I'm gonna definitely check check this guy out too. All right, um, your next question: <laughs> Where where do you think creativity comes from? I think it for me it comes from kind of an inner child 
like it relates more to a younger me and maybe that's because I identified myself as an artist or I, I, I kind of made friends with that idea of the artist as an identity when I was very young. So for me, it comes from a kind of a young place, which helps kind of explain some of the kind of innocence that I, I see looking back at it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. How do you find inspiration? Um, I find inspiration from creating the time and space to play with materials. For me, it's a very playful process that um, most often, you know, it actually is kind of in some ways very childlike, like most often involves moving objects around a space. And um, an artist friend of mine recently described her studio as a 3D sketchbook. And I totally relate to that. So as my, my studio space as a 3D sketchbook is a way to kind of move materials around and see their proximity, their, um, the way they relate to one another. So it's um, the permission to play, which is something that sometimes takes more effort to give myself than others. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really hard and I'm, I'm just like in working mode. So it's hard to give myself the permission to play. But when I do, um, just give my, like purely for the process and for the potential discovery, like waiting through the, waiting for the moment of like, yes, this, this is interesting. This could go somewhere more. So um, um, in terms of like how the materials speak to one another for lack of a better word. Um, yeah. So giving myself permission to play is where I find inspiration. Mm. What is one thing you would tell your childhood self? Um, I would say, um, remember, remember why you're doing this. Like, remember the, the impulse, like again, which relates to that, permission to play like remember that because I've I've forgotten that over the years and this is really helping me remember that um so it comes and goes but I would tell my child self to like remember you know this this um yeah this this the delight in that playful process yeah Mm. I love right. it. That, that, that hit yeah. me, that hit me right in the feels just, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. I definitely deeply relate to that. I, I totally get caught into work mode and, you know, uh, like I'd say the whole reason why I'm a filmmaker is cause I used to play, um, I used to play this, these games with my friend, you know, and we'd, we'd imagine scenarios and we'd act them out and, you know, and that's so much of like, I, I, my toys, my action figures were my, they were my, they were my like, screenplays you know they were where i practiced basically telling stories um but you know when i remember that it actually does it gets me excited it gets me inspired to start doing more of it okay last question yeah (laughs) so thanks for that (laughs) okay last question what is one thing your future self would tell you right now Ooh, what would my future self um 
Well, sometimes, and I found over the past several years, as I've wanted to kind of shape my life in a particular way to, 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 um, to, to move toward this vision of my future self. Um, I think my future self, because I've been thinking a lot about her um, over the past several years, I think my future self might say like, don't forget about this moment. Like, don't forget about now. Um, and, and that all of those future moments are, are, um, are really take, they take place now. So that's what I think my future self would say to me. That was a great question. Thanks for that one. <laughs> Good. That's awesome. That um, was the last question. So yeah, that was the last, <laughs> the last one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it's such a thing that is a, such a recurring theme for Evan and I, as we do this podcast and we, you know, we have these talks is like how much the moment right now is just like, it, it is everything. And I think, we can sometimes get so lost in like, I got to get somewhere and I got to be something and I got to, and, and we forget that that's all happening right now. You know, that, that this moment is necessary for wherever it is you think you're going. There's no skipping this. This is a part of the journey. You're on it right now and it's undeniable. Um, so yeah, you know, I think my future self might tell me something similar. <laughs> Yeah, that's so good because I I'm totally future oriented. Like I really am like constantly thinking about like where am I going? How am I going to get there? Where is this? But um, but really, yeah, that's such a good reminder. Thanks for the question from the future self. Yeah, thanks for the answer. Um, well, so we're kind of wrapping this baby up. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, this is kind of a moment where we can, if we want. Uh, we can kind of say like, I don't know, like what we got out of this, what, what kind of conclusions, if there's any final thoughts. Um, I don't know if anyone wants to go first, but uh, it's kind of a moment to just maybe wrap it up and, and say what we got out of it. Well, I can, I can go, or, or do you want to, do you want to go Evan? Oh uh, yeah. You know what? Maybe I'll, I'll go and then maybe we can give you the opportunity to have the last word. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Like I'm just going to, I, I'm first off, I've just really enjoyed this whole talk and I would definitely love to, to bring you on again sometime down the, down the road. Um, because I feel like there's so much that we could, that we can dive into. Um, but I'm just going to just leave it with, uh, sort of how you responded to that. What would you tell your childhood self? Like, just remember that impulse of play remember that impulse and that permission that you just sort of used to give yourself (laughs) to just do it to just to just act and jump in and and just so that that reminder for me is is something that i'm i'm walking away with deeply in this one so thank you very much for that yeah i i'd second that that was that was a that's a huge part for me i i think that everything really does come from that childhood self of play. And, you know, play is one of our laws. It's one of the laws we talk about in, in an episode and uh, we kind of try to really get into it. And I find that like, man, when life gets stressful when I get down, when things aren't working or when I'm like worked up about whatever, like if I can just go back to play, it usually solves almost everything. And it, but it, it takes a certain amount of like, for me at least it takes a certain amount of just like 
just let go and just let it, let, let yourself be, you know, with you, you know, and which is kind of like your last question too, which is be in that moment, right. Be in the moment now. And like, uh, anyway, so that lands with me a lot, but I just want to say like the, the one thing that I want to uh, say about the whole talk is thanks so much for trying to come on and articulate things that are almost impossible to articulate, <laughs> especially with like, you know, we, we kind of started, like we, we, try to throw you into this conversation and go like, okay, how does this work? <laughs> and these things don't have words and you, you really, you know, you've really been vulnerable and, and opened up and, and tried to uh, share that. And it's definitely enlightened me on my process and helped me to just expand the way that I'm the, the, the way that I'm willing to like, let myself explore my art. And maybe, maybe really I'd say it comes back to the whole thing. It's like, you're giving me more permission to play based on your answers in, in a, in a way that I would more as a kid. So that's kind of what I'm getting from it. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for the opportunity to, to articulate. It helps me so much to, to, um, like talk it out and, and describe it and remember um, and giving words to it is really useful for me. And, um, and also I'm reminded of play as you, as we talk about this, because it's something that I also forget. And, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm taking that. I'm, that's my takeaway too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really great. Like the, just remembering to give myself permission to play and trusting that, um, process, like trusting that child self that, um, still is, alive in us you know like perhaps we have all of our all of ourselves um like i mean all of our ages or that core self that um has been present the whole time of like of our of our um i don't even know what to call it our deeper self maybe um that that changes over time too but uh uh Anyway, getting into the weeds now, coming back to play. And also, yeah, I just want to say thanks so much for, for the opportunity. I totally enjoyed it. And I'd love to come back and talk another time. Thanks for listening to the show. If you got something out of this, if you feel it improved your life or your journey in any way, please take a moment to subscribe, leave a review, or share the episode. You can also support us on Patreon, where we have tons of great bonuses. You are the ones that make the show possible and help us to thrive. Thank you for joining us.